The first lesson, which will also be the basis for the sermon, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, and away from your relatives, and from your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who dishonors you. All of the families of the earth will be blessed in you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and set out to travel to the land of Canaan. Eventually, they arrived in the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land until he came to the Oak of Morah at the place called Shechem. The Canaanites were in the land at that time. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Abram built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. He moved on from there to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent there, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Then he built an altar to the Lord and proclaimed the name of the Lord, the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Every day we hear and see unbelievable claims and promises. By now you have probably seen in your email inbox a message from like the crown prince of Malawi, even though of course Malawi is a presidential republic and it doesn't even have a royal family. Don't worry about that because the crown prince of Malawi for some reason has a giant pile of money, U.S. dollars, and for some other reason that he doesn't really explain, he needs to transfer all of this money into the bank account of an American. And look at you, aren't you blessed? Because out of the quarter billion people he could have picked for this, for some reason he picked you. Now all you have to do to get all this money is send the crown prince your bank account number and maybe a little other information like your social security number, your birth date, and then he will freely just transfer all of this money into your account. You read something like that, and of course, it's unbelievable in about a hundred different ways. So, as an intelligent, rational person, you immediately do with that message what any intelligent, rational person would do. You just delete it. Just dismiss it. It's unbelievable. Or a, a mother hears her small son tell her that the chocolate on the corners of his mouth does not mean, does not mean that he disobeyed her and ate cookies so close to supper time. No, no. The little boy promises from the bottom of his sweet, dear, little innocent heart that he has not disobeyed his mother. But of course, any reasoning, common sense mother recognizes that as unbelievable right away and just dismisses it. Where else do you see and hear unbelievable claims and promises? We see them all the time because we live in a world that's full of liars and con artists and snake oil salesmen. And by now, we're pretty much immune to these kinds of things. We are so skeptical of anything that is the least bit hard to believe that, that when we see something that's totally unbelievable, it doesn't even stand a chance with us anymore. We do what, what intelligent, common sense, reasoning people do, and we just 
dismiss it. Well, so we should say off the top that Abram, from whose life we are hearing a story today, Abram was not a stupid man. If you go to the book of Genesis and read the entire account of Abram's life, you will meet a man who is clearly very intelligent. Abram is smart enough to become fabulously wealthy without conning people and lying to them, which you have to be pretty smart to do. And Abram is also not a gullible man. When you meet Abram and look at his life, you, you don't get the impression that you're meeting a man who suffers a lot of crazy claims and tall tales. You're meeting someone who does with unbelievable things what an intelligent, reasoning person should do. He just dismisses them with one very notable exception. In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord comes to Abram and starts telling him things, making him promises that actually make the claims of Malawi princes and chocolate-faced children seem downright reasonable and believable. The Lord comes to Abram when he is already 75 years old and starts by promising him this, I will make you a great nation. Now Abram had been trying without success for decades with his wife Sarah to have even one child. And they never had any, and now at the ripe old age of 75, when they are scientifically past the age when they can have children, the Lord comes to Abram and says, not only are you going to have children, you're going to have so many that it will develop into a great nation. A totally unbelievable promise. The silliest of the silly, until, until the Lord gets to the second promise, which actually manages to outdo the first one in terms of just sheer unbelievability. He says, I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who dishonors you. We already heard that the Lord blessed Abram with an amazing amount of wealth. So what makes this promise so unbelievable? Well, from our cultural perspective, we see there's lots of different ways for the Lord to bless your life and make you a blessed person. Children don't necessarily have to be a part of it, but in Abram's culture, sons were everything. If you didn't have a son, someone to carry on your name and your legacy, you were nothing. It was all about having sons, and up to this late stage in his life, the Lord had given Abram exactly zero of those, and now the Lord comes along and says, I'm going to bless you beyond what you could imagine. Great nation. Unbelievable. Thorough blessings. Nobody could buy it. And then came the richest one of them all. All of the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, Hopefully you and I already understand how the Lord kept that promise in the end. But put yourself in Abram's position, listening to that promise for the first time. How exactly is this going to work? How can I, one person, living at a set time and place, be a blessing to everybody who's already lived before me, all the families who are going to live after me, and even people who lived in lands that Abram could not possibly have even imagined existed. Everything about this is totally unbelievable from top to bottom, and then scripture says, Abram believed every single word of it. The Lord comes back to Abram sometime later in Genesis 15, and he repeats 
all of these totally unbelievable promises. And there it says, Abram believed the Lord. Now just to review, Abram is a smart guy. He's not dumb. And Abram is not gullible. He's a rational, reasonable person. So how does an intelligent, reasonable person believe unbelievable promises? Well, how do you? Why do you believe that God in heaven took on human flesh and was born of a virgin? And why do you believe that one death on a cross 2,000 years ago benefits you today and forever? Why do you believe that pouring water over the head of a little kid and saying a few words does anything for that child other than get his forehead wet? And why do you believe that one day dead bodies are going to rise up and live again? Are not all of these claims and promises that God makes to you in his word, are they not all thoroughly unbelievable? Do they not actually insult human logic and intelligence and rationality? They do. So then, why do you believe them? Well, maybe it's because you're dumb. Now, don't get mad at me. I'm just using Occam's razor here. The, the simplest explanation is usually the correct one, right? So the easiest explanation for why you believe unbelievable things is that you're stupid. But there's a problem with that explanation, and I know some of you pretty well by now, and as a group, a lot of adjectives come to mind to describe you. Stupid is definitely not on the list. You are not dumb people. It's a highly intelligent congregation. All right, well, you know, some people are smart, but they're still gullible. They'll just believe anything they're told. That, uh, that doesn't quite explain it either. I don't really get the impression that a lot of you have wooden nickels in your change jars at home. The, the people in this congregation are very much like Abram, smart people who reason, who don't just believe everything they hear. You don't, you're not the kind of people who respond to the Prince of Malawi or exonerate a child with chocolate on his face, you believe the unbelievable promises that God makes you for the same reason Abram did. God called you to it. And he gave you that faith. If it were up to you, with your big old brains and all your rationality, you never would have believed a single word that God makes to you, the promises of his word. But it wasn't up to you. God worked in your heart with the love of his son, the gospel of Christ that he delivered to you, in his word and in his sacraments, to give you faith in his promises that otherwise you and nobody else ever could or ever would believe. That there is a God who loves this world, and he loves it so much that he became one of us and took on human flesh. And he died on the cross to take away our sins and the sins of the whole world, and he rose from the dead so that we will rise. He opened up heaven to everyone who believes. It is too much for anyone to believe. But by God's grace, by the work of his Holy Spirit, we do believe it. So, what happened for Abram when he believed the unbelievable promises of God? And what happens for us? Later in Genesis 15, it says, Abram believed God. And God counted it to him as righteousness. 
So God makes his salvation promises to the entire human race, and he tells us in his word, when a person believes it, then they receive the benefits of those promises for themselves personally. You believe it, and God counts you as righteous. He sees you as holy. Biblical term for that is God justifies you. He declares you righteous, not because you are righteous in yourself, but through faith in his son, you receive all of the good things that God promises to you in Jesus Christ. We see that in Abram's life here. It says he believed the Lord and God counted him righteous. And Abram then also received all the benefits of everything that God had promised him. Now the Lord made Abraham and Sarah wait a lot more years yet, but finally they did have a son. They named him Isaac. And Isaac's descendants did develop into the great nation of Israel. You read the rest of Abram's life and you see the Lord's blessings is just nipping at Abram's heels all the way to the grave and then, of course, beyond the grave into the kingdom of heaven. And most importantly for you and me, God kept his promise to bless everyone in this world through Abram because it was through his family that our Savior Jesus came into the world. Jesus in whom we believe and receive all of the good things that God promises to us in his word. Abram believed the unbelievable promises of God, and by God's grace, we do too. When Abram believed, he received the benefits of everything God had promised him, and so do we through our faith in God's Son. But then, even more unbelievable things started to happen in Abraham's life. As we already heard, Abram was getting up there in years. He was getting pretty old. He was also very wealthy. Not only that, but Abram lived in the only home he had ever known for his whole life. And he was surrounded by his extended family, all the people who loved him and all the people he loved. Now, from a human perspective, you look at a guy in that situation and you say, he is set for the twilight years of his life. This guy is not going anywhere, right? The next move this man makes should be into the ground at his funeral and up to the kingdom of heaven. Other than that, he's not going anywhere. But in addition to making these unbelievable promises to Abraham, the Lord also gave him a command that on the surface would seem impossible for Abraham to keep. Get out of your own country and away from your relatives and from your father's house and go to the land I will show you. Now what nonsense does this sound like? To tell a man in that situation to get up, leave everything he knows, everyone he knows, and just go. And you notice that the Lord doesn't even tell Abram where to go. He says, I'll show you later. Wild. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to travel to the land of Canaan. Eventually, they arrived in the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land until he came to the Oak of Morah at the place called Shechem. The Canaanites were in the land at that time. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He moved on from there to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent there with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord, 
and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So the land to which the Lord ended up leading Abram was some of the most beautiful and war-torn terrain on the planet. Because not only is it beautiful, it's rich with resources, and it's very centrally located, which means it was always being fought for, and it still is, by the way, to this day. But when the Lord told Abram, who was wealthy and settled in his own homeland, go move into the middle of the land of the Canaanites. Ooh, the Canaanites are not gentle and warm people. They're very dangerous neighbors to have. But the Lord says, go make the Canaanites your neighbors. Abram does it. And he pitches his tent right in the middle of the land, as if to say, this is now my home. You know, Moses, who wrote this story, maybe you wonder, why are you telling me about the Oak of Morah and where Bethel is and where Ai is? Because if you follow it on a map, you'll see Abram, he's not going right up to the border of Canaan and saying, okay, I'm here, I'll just kind of hang out. He goes right into the middle, cuts right down the center of the country, and pitches his tent. And not only that, but Abram does this with a thankful, worshipful heart. He's not saying, Lord, why can't you pick some other old guy and uproot him? He's building altars, two of them, during and after his move to Canaan. And on the surface, this all seems like such insane things for Abram to be doing. How could he do it? And how could he do it with this joyful, worshipful attitude? Simply because he had faith. The same faith that believed God's unbelievable promises and made Abram righteous in the eyes of God, that same faith also moved Abram to follow God's commands to the letter, even when it was difficult, even when it was scary to keep God's commandments. And that's the effect that saving faith has on the hearts of God's people. Our faith not only receives God's promises and makes us righteous in his eyes, faith that God gives us also makes us determined to keep God's commandments down to the letter, even when keeping those commandments is difficult, and even when it's maybe a little scary. And honestly, sometimes if you're going to keep God's commandments down to the letter, it is going to be very difficult. And sometimes it's even going to be a little scary. For example, if you look in God's word and you hear him say, your body belongs to me. I made you. Your body is not your own property. It's mine. And I paid for it with the blood of my son. Therefore, you do with your body what I tell you to do with it. You remain pure. That's going to be a really hard command to keep because it's going to make you strange and it's going to make you an object of ridicule for most people and it's going to be scary in a world that has mostly adopted the position of my body belongs to me. And I get to make every decision about it and do anything I want with it because it's mine and nobody else's. Or, another example. You look in the Word and God says, everything you have comes from me. So first, before you do anything else, you make a joyful, generous, first fruit offering to me. That is really hard. And it's scary. When you're on a tight budget and you're watching your portfolio do this, because you think, I have things that I need for me, and that needs to come first. It's going to be hard, and even a little frightening, to keep that command. Or, pray for your enemies. Pray for my enemy. I have a sinful nature that much prefers to simmer in hatred toward my enemies than pray for them. Uh, or, honor those in authority. Full, it's not 
Honor those in authority if you like them, if you agree with them. But that's the opposite of my sinful instincts. But faith that God gives us not only believes his unbelievable promises, it also keeps his commandments, even when it is difficult, even when it's intimidating to keep them. So every Christian is different. We're all born with different weak spots, places in God's law where we point to a commandment and say, that one's especially hard for me or scary for me. The examples you just heard are just things that I think a majority of Christians struggle with, but it's different for everybody. So when you look at God's commands and you see the ones that for you are very difficult and even scary, how do we get better at keeping those commandments? Uh, some techniques that are tried include scolding people and putting them on guilt trips so they'll live an outwardly better life. And that can work a little bit sometimes in the short term, but even if it improves your outward behavior, you won't be doing it with the heart of Abram. Remember, he built altars and proclaimed the name of the Lord. We want to not only keep God's commandments, but do it with a joyful heart. And Abram's story teaches us that in order to do that, what you need is faith in God and his promises. If we want to grow in our ability to do God's commands, we need to grow our faith in his promises. And that means we need more Jesus in our lives all the time. We need the Holy Spirit to keep working on our hearts with Jesus' love. Then, our faith in God's unbelievable promises, that's going to get stronger and stronger all the time. Not only that, but our determination to do God's will, that's going to get stronger and stronger too. So, by God's grace, you believe the otherwise unbelievable promises that he has made you, and you have received every good thing that he has accomplished for you in his Son. And we trust that God will continue to work on our hearts with the love of his son. So we trust him more and more. And our will to do his will grows stronger all the time. Amen. Please stand.